0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're about to hear was presented to the Franklin Church on December 7, 2008. I was losing my voice that day, so you'll have to bear with me just a little bit. As the year winds down, I always try to take stock of where I've been and where I'm heading. With that in mind, I wanted to share with the congregation and with you the two greatest lessons I've ever learned. I hope they help you out. So, get out your Bible and get ready to hear about the two greatest lessons I've ever learned. Well, it's been one of those days
1: for us. In fact, it's kind of been one of those weeks. I got sick early in the week and now I'm trying to lose my voice and uh, woke up this morning and Running behind, got in the car and it breaks down on I-65 on the way up here. Get finally get here and the slides won't work in class,
0: and uh,
1: just a tough day, tough week. And uh, you know, times like these that actually tie in really well. It, it's almost, and you'll see as the lesson progresses. Uh, how how interesting this is, that uh, it's almost like God was saying, you know, hey, I know what you're going to preach today, and I just want to make sure that you really get it.
0: Because
1: what I was going to start off by saying was, you know, it's the last month of the year, and as is the case, we often take the last month, and I know I do, and you're probably the same, just naturally. We, We think about what's happened in the year, and what might happen next year, and where we've been, and where we're going, and what we've learned, and what we still need to learn. And, and what I wanted to do this morning as we, we take a few moments, I just wanted to share with you the two greatest lessons that that I'm trying to learn. I, on the one hand, I want to say I have learned them, but, but on the other hand, there's still kind of a growth process, at least on the second one. And uh, the two greatest lessons that I've ever learned, I just I wanted to share those with you this morning. Before we get into that, would you pray with me, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise you because we recognize that you are indeed God. And we love you and we thank you because you have blessed us far more than we deserve. And we, we remember that. And Father, we're thankful for your Son, whose death washes our sins away. And how that hope of heaven, because of that sacrifice, so outweighs any trouble and turmoil that we might have. We recognize that. Everything that we endure in this life is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us when we're in heaven with You forever because of Your love for us. Father, we love You and we thank You and we pray that You would carry us through the turmoils and the struggles that you carry us through the good times that You would help us to lean on one another and to lift one another up. We're thankful, Father, for Your love and we love You. Through Your Son's name we pray. Amen. The number one greatest lesson I think I've ever learned is there is a God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 starts off the Bible by saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that statement. And I don't believe it just because the Bible says that, but I believe it because I accept the argument that Paul uses in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 And verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. I believe it because as I look around me, I just can't help but see that that there's got to be more than just us here. When I take a look at the universe and the, the vast expanse of it, I, I'm just, I'm amazed. I, I don't understand how anybody can look at that and not see that God is there. When you take a look at the fact that we're, we're here on a planet that is perfectly suited for our
0: existence.
1: When you take a look at the precision with which we have day and night and weeks and years and seasons and months, it's, it's just phenomenal. When you take a look at the fact that we are situated in a galaxy that's moving something—I mean, some folks have suggested like 170 miles, 75 miles per second—the Milky Way is moving through space at 175 miles per second. Wow, that, that's just amazing. In, in a solar system, that's the Sun that's moving like 300 miles per second through that galaxy. On a planet that's revolving around the Sun, at, at, I can't even remember what it was. Just set, you know, like. 10 to 15 miles per second that's rotating on its axis at a quarter mile per second and a moon that's revolving around the earth at half a mile per second. And yet all of that happens with such precision that we can take a ship, launch it from the earth, and know exactly where the moon's going to be so that we can land it on the moon and vice versa, get it back. That's how precise that is. You know, when we see a watch that is that precise, We don't think that that happened accidentally. We know that somebody put it there. Then we bring it down onto a microscopic level and we turn on our microscope and we look at something as small as the human cell. You know, everything in that cell is necessary. Without one thing, it wouldn't survive. And yet somehow we're supposed to believe that it just happened accidentally. All of that came together, all at one shot. We can get even smaller and take a look inside the nucleus at just one little strand of, of DNA. That I'm told, by searching on the internet, has 750 megabytes of information in every little strand of DNA. That that is kind of like the br- blueprint and the instructions for everything else that makes us up. It tells us everything that uh, is supposed to happen. And that just that just got started all accidentally. And what's interesting is that the only reason that it actually works is because there's also the RNA that will transcribe the information of the DNA and there's also the proteins that are there that tell it which parts to transcribe. From the vast expanse of space to the tiniest part of our, our body, the cell, what we see over and over again is design. And I just can't help but believe What the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4, when he said, Every house is built by someone, and the builder of all things is God. That's the number one greatest lesson I've learned. I know there are people that deny it, and I know there are people that won't even accept what I've shared with you this morning. But as far as I'm concerned, it's an incontrovertible truth. I just don't know how you can look around and not see God everywhere. There is a God. But perhaps the second lesson is the one that's a little bit more important. The second greatest lesson that I've learned is, I'm not Him. There is a God, and I'm not Him. Now this may seem pretty obvious to you, in fact, it may seem so obvious that you're wondering why it is such a great lesson. You know, the reality is, it's, it's not really a great lesson as far as me having some idea that I have the power to create things. It's not, it's not some idea that I, I think that I can sustain the universe. Obviously, I don't have any of that power. Generally, where this has been a problem, where I've needed to learn this, is, is not about creation and design, but it's about wisdom. Because even though I know that I can't create the world like God could, or, or the universe, there's a lot of times where I feel like I have more wisdom than God. That uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make the world, but I could run the world. Uh, I can fix it better than God. Sometimes I, I've had that feeling. Now, never consciously. You guys know, I mean, I, I would never say that consciously. If somebody ever said, hey, do you think you're better or smarter than God? I know the answer to that question, right? That answer is no. But when I actually take a look at sometimes the way I practically live, the answer was, I thought I'm bigger than God. And the lesson I've had to learn is, I'm just not Him. The fact is, I cannot run my life better than God. And I cannot fix my life better than God. I just can't do it. But there are times when i try. You know, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says that I need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to me. That says that if I just do things God's way, God's going to take care of me. If I just seek what His will and rule in my life is, He's going to add all these other things to me. He's going to take care of me. The problem is there are times when I think to myself, that, well, no, what I really need to do is I've got to figure out how to take care of my daily needs first. If if I can take care of my daily needs first, then I'll start focusing on the spiritual things. And, And that'll be okay because, you know, I've got to have my daily needs first. Or sometimes it's not even daily needs. Sometimes it's just recreation and luxury. I've got to get those things in first. Maybe if I do that. Or, or sometimes it's the idea of trying to seek popularity and, and influence and wanting everybody to like me. If I take care of that, then I can focus on the spiritual things. But i tell you what I've learned. None of that ever works. I think sometimes we have almost a schoolboy mentality about living life and serving God. In school, we want to know, well, how much work do I have to do to pass? Or how much work do I have to do to get an A? And, and it's almost like as we're taking a look at the Scripture and we're looking at what God says, we, we have this idea that we're saying, how much do I have to do that's good enough so I can pass? I just have to get 65% of it or, or maybe 92% of it to get an A? That's, that's not the way it works. God hasn't given us His will so that we can be good enough to earn our way into a passing grade to get to heaven. God has given us His Word because His Word works. God has given us His Word because His Word tells us the path to freedom. God has given us His Word because His Word can run our lives effectively. And so it's not, well, how much of it can I do to be good enough? It's, if I want freedom, if I want success, I've just got to surrender myself to this. I've just got to do it. Galatians 3.20 talks about it. Galatians chapter, excuse me, not 3, chapter 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I just need to surrender myself to whatever it is that God is saying. Not arguing against it, not trying to water it down, because if I'm trying to argue against it or barter with God or water it down or soften it down or, or cut some corners, what I'm really saying then is, I know better than God. And what I need to do is just keep it simple. Just get in the Word. Just do what He says. Another area, I I think that I can run my marriage and family better than God. Now, God has told us some things about marriage and family. We can look in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 23 and on down through chapter 6 and verse 4. And and we've read these, these passages. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We know that the Scripture talks to us about how we should conduct ourselves and our families, and yet sometimes we, I, I know I think that I know better, or, or I must think that because I don't do what it says. Go my own way. And I take a look at principles in Scripture that apply to the family, and yet sometimes just dispense with those. You know what I mean? The Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 that I need to view others, including my wife and my kids, as more important than myself. Their needs are more important than mine. And if it says I need to do that, then that's, I just need to do that. Despite what I might think in the moment. If the scripture says, as it does in Matthew chapter 5 and be about verse 22, that that if I have, if, if I know that someone has a problem with me, that they have something against me, which includes my wife, that my job is to go to them and reconcile and make amends, then I just need to do that instead of hanging on to the bitterness and the resentment and the grudges. Hanging on to that anger. I I just need to do that. Because God's way will work. But sometimes I think that I'm smarter than God and that I'm an exception to this particular statement. And you know what i found? Every time it makes things worse in the marriage if I do that. The fact is, in my marriage and family. Whether it comes to taking my family to the assemblies or being at the assemblies, whether it's, it's uh, how we deal with our money, how we talk to each other, whatever it is, I just need to say, you know what, I just need to do what God says. God is smarter than me. There is a God. And I'm not Him. And so I should just listen to him and just, just do what he says. The third area is the church. And sometimes it's less like I just have the idea that uh, when it comes to the church, whether we're talking universally or even in the congregation, that, uh, you know, maybe I'm a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser. God says, in passages like First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, that the church's purpose is to be the pillar and support of the truth. Says in Ephesians chapter one, verse six, verse twelve, and verse fourteen, that the purpose of the church is to be the praise of His glory. If God says that that's what the church is supposed to be about, those spiritual things, then my ideas of entertainment and recreation and fun uh, aren't going to work. If God says in First Peter chapter five that the congregation is supposed to be each congregation is supposed to be governed by a group of elders. Then any concepts that I might have of denominational hierarchies to try to fix problems and make sure everything goes my way and churches all over the place, that's just not going to work. What I need to learn is that my ideas about how to run the church, they're not going to work. What I need to do is just surrender to God. There is a God and I am not him. And so, no matter what happens, as frustrating as it might be to be stuck on I-65 with a busted radiator, I have to remember that there is a God, and He knows better than me. And I'm not saying that God broke my radiator, but I do know that Romans 8 and verse 28 says, we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He is also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. I don't know why all the things happen to us that happen to us. Some some pretty awful, sorry things happen to us. But I know that God knows better than us, and can use those things to help us go to heaven. There's a God, and I'm not Him. And, newsflash, neither are you. You're not Him either. And so can I encourage you. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, Crucify yourself, and just live by faith in Him. Just do what he says. Don't argue against it. Don't barter. Don't try to figure out if there's some way to get out of it. Because I'm telling you, it's not an issue of, well, we're trying to figure out all the lines and rules. I'm telling you, if you, just, if you disregard what he said, it's not going to work. Just keep it simple and do what he says. Because he's God. And we're not.
0: I hope you were edified by that lesson. More so, I hope God was glorified. Let's remember the two very simple lessons that we've learned. One, there is a God. Two, I'm not him. If you have any questions about this lesson or some other spiritual issue, or if you have a prayer request or spiritual need, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face-to-face. Feel free to join us for any of our classes or assemblies. You can find directions and times on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.